So this uh, session is going to be a little bit different. I'm going to talk a bit more, tell a few kind of stories of what it was like for me when I became a Christian. Um, I mentioned already that from like a background of relative poverty, from a working class background, and the church that I got saved into was a very, very middle class church. And so for me, there was a real culture uh, clash. And I know that Obviously, there can be culture clashes in many ways, but for me, this is one of, one of the reasons I guess I've got the next book coming out on this subject is because I think it's something that's not really talked about in UK churches much anymore. It was really interesting to me as I kept telling people I'm working on a book about class issues in the church, how many people said to me, class isn't an issue anymore. Like, wh- why are you writing about that? Or, or almost a, a couple of people said to me... Um, it, why are you kind of making it into an issue when it isn't one? And what was really interesting was that every single person who said that to me was middle class. And every person who said to me, oh, this book is so needed, was working class. So I did have those people spraying me on. In fact, um, I think I tweeted something about writing the book and someone, I don't know this guy, tweeted, uh, sent me a private message on Twitter saying as a, a plasterer from southeast London who's felt like I've stuck out like a sore thumb for 20 years in my church. Let me just say thank you that you're even writing a book like this. So I don't know, it's going to be interesting to see how it's received. I think the other books didn't feel that controversial. I think this one feels a little bit more controversial. Um, We've looked to highlight a lot of differences between the working classes and the middle classes. Uh, Obviously not with an aim of going, hey, we're so different, let's never talk to each other. The aim is the exact opposite to that. It's that by understanding each other, hopefully some of the kind of clashes that can make people feel excluded or alienated from church life, um, we can overcome them together. All of us actually are overcoming. Because there's um, some, I think, I don't know, snobbery sounds like a harsh word. But, you know, there's a looking down on other people. But there's the opposite to that as well. There's the reverse snobbery of really judging the other group of people. And it's been interesting, again, as we've written it, Paul Brown and I together, even just working out what's going on in our own hearts and why some of our attitudes are the way they are. And obviously, we've had to make huge generalisations. And I'll make some generalisations today, I'm sure, because that's the nature of when you're writing on anything like that. But... Some things you'd be like, well, that one, maybe not. But So for me, um, I, like I said, I became a Christian when I was 15. And I honestly had no real clue what I was doing. Um, I didn't even know what it meant to become a Christian. I, I've often joked over the years, I think God tricked me into becoming a Christian. And I'm very grateful that he did. Because, but I think if I'd known that it, what it would involve, I probably wouldn't have become a Christian. Because if I'd known that it's, it's hard. If I'd known you have to go camping... I absolutely would not have become a Christian. Honestly, it was the shock of my life. Um, it's really funny, actually, how much the working classes and the upper classes have in common. Um, so I've got a friend who is, by her own definition, upper class, and she's like, yeah, we hate camping too. And she, We both think it's the worst thing about being a Christian is um, camping. Sorry if you've got... I hope you haven't got like a post-COVID camping trip that you're about to pitch to the church or something. Pitch. That's funny. I didn't even mean that. Yeah, I didn't mean to do that. Um, So, yeah, I explained a bit about growing up. So I went to like the roughest secondary school um, in my town. And I loved it, actually. I I quite liked it. But it meant... when When I became a Christian, yeah, it was just... It was a real shock, and I think I was a real shock. So in the youth group, 
um, there were two or three of us who got saved around the same time from my school. And I think the youth leaders didn't quite know what had hit them because I think we were just, I don't even know what it was. Some of it's not even a class thing. I think it was just our complete lack of understanding of the Christian faith. So I remember uh, two of us saying to the youth leaders that we decided we only believed Matthew's gospel and didn't believe the other gospels. And I don't even know why we said that. But, you know, it's kind of, I think we were, we were also very honest, which I shall come back to in a little bit just some of the things that we said that you're not supposed to say so for me it felt like I had to really learn how to behave and I heard Gavin Calver the um, chief exec of the Evangelical Alliance say recently that in our churches do we so there's an expression that goes around isn't there that we want people to belong before they believe but he said we often want people to behave before they belong and so that was my kind of experience. I love my church, by the way. I'm, I'm, I now work for the church that I got saved into. So I haven't been there the whole time, but I'm back there. I'm on the leadership team. I love my church. But in such a deprived area, it's really interesting to me that my church is so middle class. And so one of the hardest things for me when I became a Christian was having to learn how to eat around other people's houses. Um, this was, uh, so, I mean, if any of you have read any of the books, this is a story I tell a lot because it was, for me, it was the, the first thing that was like, what is this? Uh, so I started going to dinner at people's houses, which was nice. People were welcoming. But they served food in a way I'd never seen food served before. So they would put out one dish of vegetables, one dish of potatoes, one dish of meat, and they would have things at a table like that were either paper or material I don't know what those things napkins or like what honestly though never never seen a table set out like this and because you're the guest they say to you oh well you know after you and honestly it used to fill me with just such dread because I had no idea what you were supposed to do genuinely had no idea and I would try to, the first few times, um, I would say, like, oh, no, no, you go first. Because what I thought is, if they go first, I can copy them. And I desperately wanted to see how you, how you ate like that. Um, and no one who's polite and middle class will let the guest go second. So no, they'd be like, no, 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 you go first. And I didn't have the confidence or maybe even the self-awareness or whatever to say to them, no, I actually don't. Like I, I haven't seen food served like this before. I don't understand. And I was really, like, I would agonise, obviously just in my head, in a space of a few seconds over, I don't know whether you're supposed to take the food in a particular order, like from left to right, or, or is, the, is there an order? Um, which, if there is, I still don't know what it is, so I'm just going to say that. But also, how much are you supposed to take? Like, what are the rules? Because there are unspoken rules. And I learned when I became a Christian that like, one of the unspoken rules is that if you're invited to someone's house, you're supposed to take something, like a bottle of wine or you know, a contribution of something edible or something you can drink. And I had no clue about that. And actually, I didn't find that out until 10 years after I became a Christian when someone took me to one side and didn't need to say it like this, but did, said to me, people have been talking about the fact you never bring anything when you come to a party or you come to dinner. And do you know what? I'm glad they did say it like that because it means that it wasn't just one person who'd noticed. It meant people had noticed and they'd not said anything to me. So this was a rule I had no idea existed. And suddenly I realised that people, people know that it's a rule and they know that I don't do it. And there's like a judgment thing on me for not doing it because people didn't, people didn't assume she doesn't know. They assumed 
I just didn't do it. Funny thing is that now sometimes I deliberately don't do it. That's not what happened last night. I went to Zoom. So that's, that's not what happened last night. I'm just, I'm just you know, I'm, I'm not local. So, um, but, but sometimes now, and, and because enough of my friends have heard me tell this story, so, sometimes they, if I turn up and they're like, oh, you've come empty-handed, and now it's just a joke because, you know. Um, and also some of my friends now, when I go to their houses, will um, say, don't worry, I'm dishing up your plate for you. And I'm like, that is good because you've invited me for dinner. The least you can do is put the food on the plate for me. I mean, it feels a bit, you know, make you serve your own food. What's that about? I don't, I don't, I don't know. But it was genuinely, it was a real culture shock for me. I'd never seen food served like that. And there were so many things like that. And, and I, even just talking to people, um, so people would say things to me like, um, you know, like in September, where did you go on holiday in the summer? I'd be like, would, would you, nowhere or like what do you mean um or or like yeah I had like a day off work or I had a week off work or whatever but it's interesting just some of these assumptions and you know I mentioned even during the pandemic people saying to me oh, are you enjoying time in the garden well, I haven't got a garden so it's this these assumptions we make that everyone lives like us and the reason we make the assumptions usually is because if a lot of people in our church setting are like us you know you've been to dinner at maybe 10 other families homes and they've all been the same then why wouldn't you assume that person 11 is is the same but for me it was yeah I felt welcomed so it's not that I felt unwelcomed but it's that I just was very very aware of difference and very aware that I didn't really know how to behave and very aware that I got myself into trouble quite a lot through like saying things that I didn't realize you weren't supposed to say or or do and even to the point where I did a gap year uh, working for a different church, and I got kicked off it um, a few months into it. It was, it was kind of, I like to describe it now, now that it's not a painful memory, as like I said to God, here, have a year of my life, and he went, no, you're right, I only want five months, thanks. Um, <laughs> but I looking back, I think now, the reason I realised I got kicked off it is actually probably because of being working class, and so some of the ways I behaved were not the ways you were supposed to behave. So, for example, and this is something I still do now, telling someone that their sermon isn't very good, or wasn't very good, I didn't know you weren't supposed to do that. Now I know it and I still do it, but that's my choice, but I didn't know it back then. And so for me, that wasn't about wanting to be rude. It's just, I thought that we're supposed to be honest. And that's how, you know, my mum just says it as it is. There is no holding her back from (laughs) I won't give examples on a recording because she will kill me but you know she she says things and she just says it straight how it is and that's what I've learned to do and I've not seen until I became a Christian I'd not seen people who don't do that and so it's a value thing though it's not that um, middle class you know to make generalization not like working class people are all really honest and middle class people are all are two-faced but that's what it looked like to me when I when I became a Christian but I think it's that middle class people prioritize um, not wanting to hurt someone's feelings and not wanting to cause offense and wanting to be polite which is important um, over honesty so it's not it's not that either one's wrong or right it's just a different value system and it's which value you trumps the other one so for me, it still trumps. I would still rather be honest with someone than be polite or not hurt their feelings, uh, which gets me into trouble. Um, I'm on the leadership team in my church, and I still do this. So I've had conversations with the senior pastor of my church where 
I've said to him, can I just have a word with you about the sermon you preached on Sunday? Because I felt like you really missed an opportunity on a subject we don't talk about very often. So this, well, the one I'm specifically thinking about was he was talking on joy. And I listened to him talk on joy. And I was really excited because we don't, maybe you guys do, but we don't talk about joy much um, in my part of the world. And so I was really excited that we were going to be hearing someone talk on joy and what it means to have joy. You know, the joy of the Lord is our strength. And he spoke about how he loses his joy when his football team loses. And that was his main example of what robs his joy. And so afterwards, I was just like, I just, I'm not into football. You've got people in our congregation who are really suffering. And why didn't you talk about, he's been through some stuff. I was like, why didn't you talk about anything you've been through? I, I don't understand. And he said it was in his notes he just, you know, in the moment, and it didn't, it didn't come up. So it wasn't that he didn't mean to. And so he actually said that he found that really helpful. I'm sure there's other times when I've given him my opinion, it's perhaps not been as helpful. But I've, the one that's lodged in my mind is the one that was really helpful, funnily enough. But it's interesting, because he says that when I tell him, like, oh, I thought it was brilliant, you were brilliant on Sunday, he believes it much more than he does from most of the other people who give him feedback on a regular basis because the other people who give him feedback are much more polite than I am. So they will often say to him, yeah, it was great. And that's, that's, that's it. So if they say that every single time, unless he's just the most consistent public speaker in the world, it's probably not true, is it, that every time it's great. So I think for, it's, it's just a communication difference. And just I've been in settings where... Um, hearing people talk about how the sermon was and then the preacher comes over and then they say the complete opposite to what they've just said and again it's not I think it's not it's not a bad thing it's it's like um, a white lie to spare someone's feelings isn't it so it's not it's not someone trying to be two-faced but to working class people it can look quite two-faced whereas I think to middle class people being so bluntly honest just looks really rude and insensitive. And so just trying to understand like some of these kind of cultural differences, because they are cultural differences, I think it's just really helpful to us understanding each other and then being able to be in church family together. Um, so that's, that's one on just, so I guess, communication, honesty, politeness. Like I say, neither's right or wrong. But I think if we want to be welcoming churches where people from all walks of life, all backgrounds can come together, it's so important to kind of think about how we think. And that's really, really hard because however we think or do things is the natural way to us, isn't it? Like it's not even that we might be thinking, well, this way is the right way. So I learned that hospitality, I, well, I, I learned something that I'm going to say I now don't believe. But what I learned is that biblical Christianity, biblical hospitality, looks like going to someone's house at 7.30. Again, I feel a bit bad saying this when I've been to someone's house at 7.30. Um, But it's going to someone's house at 7.30, bringing a bottle of wine and hoping that they leave by 10, which we didn't. Um, You know, um, definitely you want them out by half 10, they probably don't, unless you're a late night person. So for me, after I became a Christian, that... like unconsciously that became my way of doing hospitality because I saw that's how everyone around me did it so I assumed that's the Christian way to do hospitality 
And then in the last decade or so, as I've been like, thinking about my background a lot more and feeling more comfortable with my background and more comfortable to be myself, what I realised is that when I was a kid, you walked in and out of each other's houses. And, you know, actually, one of my friends in church in particular, who lives on a council estate, I can just turn up at her house. I don't have to tell her I'm coming. I don't have to book an appointment. I don't have to set a dedicated time. If I'm passing, or or even if I'm not passing, I just feel like it, you just go round. And if she's there, you go in. Also, she doesn't lock her door. So no one in her street locks their door. So you just walk straight in. And if you don't walk in, she's almost offended. Whereas I think if I walked into a lot of people's houses, I might get hit over the head with a baseball bat. But, um, you know, and and not only that, but if I do that, if I drop in on her and she's busy, it doesn't, it's not like, oh, sorry, I'm busy. It's a, I'm busy, sit down, or I'm busy, sort yourself out. It's a, it would be a rare occasion where she would say to me, oh, go away, you can't come in. Um, Even if she goes out, she might say, I'm, I've got to go out in a minute. I might, I'll be back in an hour. Are you staying or, or what are you doing? And I would be welcome to stay in her home. And that, for me, I'm like, it, that's hospitality, actually, isn't it? And again, it's not the one's right or one's wrong. It's just that I learned that being a Christian meant that, like, in the Bible, hospitality is the 7.30, the meal, the bringing the contribution. And I've had to unlearn that. And I, that came home to me when someone turned up unexpectedly in my house and I wasn't happy about it. So when they, well, my flat, when they turned up, I, I was like, what are you doing here? And yeah, she pointed out that probably I should just let her in and be a bit more gracious. So <laughs> that was a non-Christian friend of mine as well. And she was like, aren't you lot supposed to be welcoming? And I was like, well, not when you just turn up unannounced. And I, I suddenly realised that I'd, I'd kind of thrown out what... and, and the thing for me that was crucial was that I thought one was biblical and one wasn't. And what I realised is hospitality is biblical and it can take different expressions, it can look different. And Jesus tells me to be hospitable, the Bible tells me to welcome people, to entertain even strangers in my own home. But it doesn't say how I should do that, it doesn't say what time I should do that, it doesn't say what that should look like. So it's kind of things like that, trying to think a bit outside the box, trying to just think, is the way I do it biblical or is it just the way I've been brought up or the way everyone around me does it? And then thinking, actually, that means if someone does it differently, it's okay. So just as I kind of will slot into other people's, this is how we do it, it's a nice meal, you've got to serve yourself and I've kind of learned how to be okay with that. I've got one friend who, if we ever eat together... He always wants to go to Weatherspoons, and I don't, I don't particularly like Weatherspoons. But he would rather go there than come to my house. He would rather um, like go there than me go to his, and that's what he wants to do. So hospitality there actually can look like accommodating someone else's preferences. But to do that, you have to ask what other people's preferences are. And so for me, so much of trying to cross these barriers or these divides is about having honest conversations with people. I think it's also about trying to be observant if people look uncomfortable. And I don't know, it, that's really hard. Again, I don't know how you do it, but I remember I, after a little while of being a Christian, I realised that if you're at someone's house for a meal and they're still making the meal while you're there, you should probably offer to help. I can't remember who, someone told me that. And I was like, okay. So I would then offer to help, but like really hoping they said no, because I didn't know how to do anything. Like, so the first time it was, oh, you could lay the table. And I was like... Okay, and honestly, this happens to me still today. I'm like, 
which hand do I hold my knife and fork in? Like, what? And the only reason I know that if you're eating more than one course, you work from the outside in, is because of the film Pretty Woman. Do you remember that? <laughs> That's literally the only reason I know that. So that, one, that one's lodged in my mind. But honestly, the minute someone asks me to lay a table, I cannot remember. And even though I can use a knife and fork, I... I yeah, I just can't work out. It's the minute someone says that, and that's endured to this day. But then the worst one than that was when someone said, can you peel potatoes for me? I'd never peeled potatoes. So I literally, <laughs> this is a bit ridiculous, but said to them, um, how do you like it done? And they said, oh, you know, just like normal. And I went, it's like, yeah, but do you have any specific preference as to how you'd like me to do it? And they looked at me and were like, no, like, just just peel it and anyway I was like trying to hide and not let them see me because I'd, I'd never used a potato peeler before and so it's, it's things like trying to just sharpen our awareness of if someone's acting like that or maybe asking a question which seems really daft that actually it probably is because they actually just don't know they've just got no experience and so thinking through how can I answer that helpfully and in a way that doesn't bring shame as well because I think one of the reasons I wasn't prepared to just say I've never done it before is because I felt like everyone must have done this except me um I had a similar experience when I I did a cookery course um this was I don't know probably six or seven years ago I decided to do a cookery course uh because I wanted to well learn to cook and so I went on this beginner's cookery course and the f- lesson one was how to chop things and what utensils are called and how to peel potatoes. And, but anyway, chopping onions was the thing, right? So I'm chopping these onions, having just been taught how to do it. And the chef comes over to me and he says, wow, like you have chopped those onions so finely. He's like, I think that's the best I've ever seen someone who's on this course do it in their first session. Now, I was so happy when he said that honestly I don't think I've ever felt more proud of myself in my life genuinely it was like this massive deal for me so much so that on the drive home I called my mum to tell her my mum who I said to you is quite blunt said he obviously just says that to everyone that and I was like no and then I got off the phone because I didn't want her to kind of ruin my moment but then I started thinking why am I so happy like I had this smile I was beaming have you ever done that that something's made you so happy you're in a car on your own or you're somewhere on your own and you realize you're smiling and I'm like, why am I so happy? And I realised that because for my whole Christian life, I'd carried this deep sense of shame that I didn't know how to do something that I assumed that everyone else knows how to do. And sometimes we wonder why people don't want to come on our life skills courses like cookery or budgeting or various things. And I think often it's got to do with the fact that people feel shame because they feel like everyone else knows. So the reason I felt so proud of myself over something so, like, every day, so common, is because I hadn't realised I'd just been living, probably since the potato peeling incident, with just a deep sense of shame that I, I don't know how to do the things that everyone else knows how to do. Since then, I've met other people who also don't know how to chop onions, so it's all right. But it's, it's just to be aware of, can we kind of... Even asking for a Holy Spirit sensitivity to shame in others actually, to when we're talking about things. Because that can happen even just in conversations on a, say, on a Sunday morning over tea and coffee when maybe you're talking to a visitor and your first question is, what do you do? Well, what what does that mean? Why is that the question we, we ask? Because actually, if someone doesn't have a job or, 
you know, it just even isn't familiar with that question. I've heard um, from Paul Brown, my co-author, um, he was telling me about a leader in his church who was sat with a group of church leaders and they all went round one by one and said where they'd gone to university. And he sat there just wanting to disappear from his chair because he knew it was going to come to him and he was going to be the only person in the room who was like, oh, I'm a postman. And it, it, just, again, the, the sense of kind of shame about something that, why should he feel ashamed of that? Actually, the vast majority of people in the country haven't been to university. There's no shame in that. And the, the, the what do you do question, it, it's an interesting one as well, because I find it really interesting when I do ask people that question to observe what happens in me when they respond. Am I impressed? Can I think of questions to ask them? Do I assume it's a job that brings them purpose or pleasure? Or do I assume it's a job that, you know, I can't imagine how anyone would get pleasure out of that. Paul writes in the book um, a sermon he heard where someone was... Um, saying like when my kids grow up you know I'm praying for the best from God for them I'm praying that you know I don't want them to end up as like road sweepers or bin men and you think well you've got people sitting there who've got jobs like that there's nothing wrong with those jobs in fact people um, with that kind of job probably work a lot harder than you do sitting in your fancy office you know sorry no disrespect but you know what I mean so it's but I notice attitudes that come out of me and sometimes it's it's judging what someone says um, in that kind of way. But sometimes it's the opposite. Sometimes it's someone tells me about some job they do and I assume I've got, I, there's no way I could connect with them on that point at all because it's so um, like highbrow or fancy or I just I don't understand it that I think, well, I won't ask any questions or I won't, I'll, I'll dismiss myself from the conversation almost. I think, like I said, it's, it's thinking as well, how many questions do we ask people when they come to church? Uh, there's a woman I know who says when she first started coming to church, well, the thing she hated the most was how many people tried to talk to her and ask her questions. And it's funny, isn't it, because that's exactly what we deliberately do to welcome people. She said, I thought, who are all these people and why do they want to know about my life? She's like, all I want to do is I want to I find out if God is real and I want to sit at the back and I don't want anyone to talk to me. I want to come in at the beginning, I want to leave at the end and I just want to go. And, and again, it's difficult, isn't it, because other people would say the complete opposite. But again, I think it's somewhere where we need to take whatever steps we can to sharpen our awareness, to pick up the cues, the signals that someone gives off. Um, But also to ask God, help us to get a sensitivity to those sort of things. Help us to have more conversations with people where it's okay for them to say, actually, I don't want to talk to you. I'm I'm sorry, I don't want to be asked questions. Um, a, a couple that I know who lead a, a church, they said that they had a new couple from uh, one of the estates by them come to church and they'd come along for like three or four weeks and they really wanted to get to know them. So they went to them and they said, would you like to come round for dinner one evening this week? And the guy responded, why, what have we done? Because the assumption was, why would, why would the pastor of a church want us to come to their house unless we're in trouble about something? Again, it's just, it's kind of, I find it fascinating, these different ways we behave, we interact with each other. Um, I think, um, yeah, I'll I'll tell you another one, and I'm just trying to think again, sorry about the recording, how to tell it. Um, Just, I was sitting next to a friend of mine in church, and we had a guest speaker come and speak about faith. And that speaker came and basically was, wanted to encourage the church about pressing through in faith battles. 
And he talked about the fact that when him and his wife were young and they bought their first house, they really believed that God wanted them to have a holiday, but they couldn't afford it because they just bought a house. And so he talked about a genuine, like his faith battle, their faith battle. They, they prayed, they felt that God want them to ha- wanted them to have this holiday, but how could they do it when they just, like, everything they had had just gone into buying this house? And anyway, eventually someone offered them their um, home in the south of France, and uh, so they were able to go there. Someone else put money through their letterbox, which was enough to cover the petrol and the ferry and all the rest of it and that sort of stuff. And so God provided for them. <coughs> But at the end of that talk, the person sitting next to me, who's a single mum from an estate in Hastings, I hope I won't offend you, she turned to me and she went, what the F was that? She's like, what is that about? Like, you get a house, why do you want a holiday as well? What's wrong with you that that's your faith battle? Now, of course, there's nothing wrong with them. And for them, that was a faith battle. And there would have been more people who could identify with that story than who couldn't in the congregation. But for her, she's praying every week, can I make enough money? Can I get enough shifts to put food on the table for my kids? They're her faith battles. And suddenly she's hearing someone... And, you know, she's a Christian, but it, it caused her so much outrage that she swore... Because she's like, this is offensive to me. Because you, you don't understand what it's like when I have to pray week after week after week, God, will you provide? Now, she has got the best stories of provision I've ever heard. She's got incredible stories. Um, she, uh, her oldest child um, broke her mobile phone by throwing it at her in an argument and the phone smashed. And my friend felt God say to her, I want you to use your... Um, last 40 quid to get her phone fixed and my friend was like god I don't want to do that she doesn't deserve that like she threw it at me in a rage there's no way she's getting her phone fixed but god said I want you to use your last 40 quid to go and get it fixed and she's like I can't 40 quid's food or not food it's you know so she's having this kind of wrestle with god but she she's very quick to obey god actually quicker than I am um and so she she takes the phone down to a shop in Hastings and she takes two 20 pound notes and she leaves the phone with them, gives them the money, and they say they'll call her when it's fixed and she can come and pick it up. They call her, I think, like the next day, or maybe even later that day, and they say to her, when you gave us the two £20 notes to pay for it, you also gave us a £50 note between the two. My friend's like, no, I didn't. And they're like, yes, you did. And she says, I can assure you... A £50 note is not something I just have, like, you know... She's like, I didn't... I did, it was, it's not mine. And the person on the phone says, you're the only customer we've had all day. Like, you're the only person who's come in, or you're the only customer who's paid cash, it might have been, but, you know... So they're, they're adamant that it's hers. I think if I'd been the shopkeeper, I'd have gone, oh, all right, never mind. No, that's fine, thanks. But they were, they were insistent, and so they said to her, when you come and pick the phone up, we, we're going to give you the 50 quid. So I love the fact that she's got story after story like that, of where basically she was obedient to God and used her last 40 quid, um, and God gave it back to her, plus a 10 quid tip for her obedience. It's just a brilliant story, and she's got the best stories. And actually, one of the things that's been really interesting to me over the last few years is I think in my early years as a Christian, I always thought that I had to learn about like maturity in God from the well-established, well-respected Christians around me. 
But I have learned so much from her, actually, the way she obeys God quickly, the way she exercises faith, that it's, a, it's been more of a provocation to me to make sure that I am living by faith as well. Because once you get a bit of money, you don't have to live by faith. You, you just don't have to, do you? If you've got enough money in the bank that you can pay for anything that might go wrong in your life, then in that area, you don't have to live by faith. And so her stories, though, have made me think, well, I want stories like hers. So I better be more generous. I better give more away. I better work a bit harder because I want stories like she's got because her stories are the best stories. I'll tell you another story. Um, about, it's about the same woman. Um, I went to... This was before the, the, that particular money story. I went to a party um, in her garden, which was for someone else's wedding or it might have been a hen pie or something, it was wedding related. And I went there and she um, was very, very drunk when I got there. In fact, everyone was drunk. I could hear walking down their road. I was like, if I didn't know where she lived, I'd been able to follow the noise and I'd have been able to find the party. And I got to this party about five o'clock. So I was like, in the afternoon. So I was like, "Why why are they so noisy? But I got there and I was like, gosh how long have you not been in? She's like, well, we started at midday, you know, we'll be going through to the small hours. They, yeah, it was kind of carnage. She said to me, have a sip of this. We made, it was, I think, homemade vodka. I had one sip of it and thought, if I have any more of that, I will not be driving home. Like, it's, it was, it felt like it was lethal. Um, so I thought, no wonder they're all drunk. Anyway, I'm thinking, oh, after this, not now, obviously, but after this, I'm going to have a, I'll have a word, I'll have a conversation with her, I'll talk to her about, you know, she's a Christian, so, I'm, you know, discipleship. Um, but she comes over to me and she, I think she thought she was whispering. She was mostly spitting in my ear and, and, and yells in my ear. God's told me to quit work and to give a year to serving the social action projects in the church. Now, I was about to turn around to her and say, no, don't do that because she's got three kids and like, that's... That's not a good idea. It's, it, it's, I was thinking, that is not wise. So I was about to say to her, don't do it. So she, then she says, so I've done it. And I'm like, what do you mean you've done it? And she was like, well, God told me to, so I did it. I was like, what do you, what do you, mean, you've, <laughs> what do you mean you've just done it? And she's like, well, God told me to, so I did it. So, so it's just funny, the contrast. So I'm judging her because she's really drunk. But God's just told her to do something that if he told me to do, I would argue with him for months, probably, before I'd finally obey him. You know, I'd be like, that's not God. I can't hear you. But she does it straight away. And she did it. And she came and served in our church and volunteered for a year and got stuck in and supported other people. Now, when, when I knew she was going to do that, I thought it'd be great for her because I'm going to come alongside her and I'm going to help her out. And I'm going to talk to her about the drinking and whatever, but... But I felt God just give me a bit of a clip around the ear, to be honest, and sort of say, just be patient and just watch what you, you know, watch your own attitude, watch how judgmental you are, watch areas of sin in your life that you find really acceptable because they're things that people don't talk about, like greed or envy or jealousy, you know, um, coveting, things like this. And, you know, because just because hers is out there doesn't mean that you're any better than her. Um, the pride, even, of thinking, I'll help you out a bit. And then what I found was, within a few weeks of her starting work for the church, she comes to me and she goes, Holy Spirit's been really talking to me about my drinking. I think that I probably shouldn't be drinking as much as, as I am. I think as a Christian, probably I need to get that up. And I'm like, oh, right. Okay, so God basically told me not to do it because he's able to do it. 
And I know that we do need to disciple people, so please don't mishear me, but I'm just trying to give that as an example. And honestly, I was so humbled by her in that year she spent. I felt like I was discipled by her because though I could have looked at this area, like swearing, drinking, all this outward stuff, her heart to obey God, her heart to trust God, her heart to push into God, even when things were hard, her heart to set an example for her kids, it just, it humbled me because, and I think that's one of the key things for me, that as we're learning to be more welcoming churches to a wider range of people, it's actually, are we going to actively make sure we are humbling ourselves and knowing that we have as much to learn from other people as they have to learn from us. And it doesn't matter who they are. It doesn't matter what their background, what their life experience, how, how, whether they've been privileged or not privileged. Every single person is made in the image of God and therefore I can learn something from every single person I encounter. And I can learn something about, every single, about God from every single person I encounter, whether they're a Christian, whether they're another religion, whether they're no faith, because every person's made in the image of God. And I think for me, the, the, the biggest thing in being welcoming to others, whether that's in our own homes, whether it's in our churches, whether it's in charities or projects, wherever it is, is about saying to God, crying out for God, actually, for that attitude of humility. That is a work of the Holy Spirit because it doesn't come naturally, I think, to most people. It has to be a work of God. And I've often wondered why um, in Micah 6, verse 8, it says, you know, what does God require of you to act justly? to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. Now, justice and mercy are often together in the Bible. So that bit makes sense to me. We act justly because justice is important to God and we love mercy because God reveals himself as a God who is merciful. But what's the humility bit got to do with it? How does it, how does it interact? How does it interplay? It feels like a, 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 a double act that makes sense and then this other thing tagged on to me. And I've realised, even just recently actually, that it's so foundational actually to what it means to love mercy, what it means to act justly, is that we must walk humbly with God. And walking humbly with God means, like Jesus, actually we submit ourselves to the people around us. We, we, we take the lowly position. We say that actually I, I can um, be a blessing to you, but also you can be a blessing to me. It's, it is laying down our lives. I think just conscious of time, just a few kind of other headlines I'd give you. So embracing other people's ways of doing things, I think, is really key. I think ensuring that our discipleship is biblical, not based on class or life experience or our own faith experience. Questioning why do we do things the way we do them? So even why do we hold... Um, so in my church, we were holding the budgeting course that I mentioned before at 7.30 on a Wednesday or Thursday evening. And we wondered why no one came from outside the church. It's because a lot of the people we were hoping would come don't go out at 7.30 on a weekday evening. It's just not a thing that happens. I never, ever saw my parents go out, either of them, go out on a weekday evening unless it was like the pub after work, but then you come home. It's not a go, come home, go out again. I'd just never seen that happen until I became a Christian. So even that, when we started holding the budgeting course in the middle of the day, funnily enough, more people came who were the people we were trying to run it for. So it's thinking, even with Alpha and things like that, if we want a wider range of people on Alpha courses or those sorts of things, we need to think, well, when's the best time for them? Even with things that we feel called to do, I, I, I 
provoke our social action leaders in my church with this. So often we're like, oh, God's saying we should do this. And I'm like, but have you even thought about the fact that there's another charity in the town doing that? Or have you thought about the fact that you're suggesting something and you've not talked to any of the people you want to do it for about whether it suits them or not? So we had a group in the church who wanted to do something for students from other nations who were coming short-term just to learn English. Um, And they put it on the same evening as a week that their um, language school that they'd come to spend that time with, had a regular class. So it's, it's not, sometimes it's not difficult to ask those questions, is it, and just get that help. But I think one sort of final thing I would say is that I think many of us love telling other people's stories. I used to be a journalist, so I love doing this. If, if I've got a story, I've told you some other people's stories today, and the stories I've told you I've got permission to tell and they're in books so I've got permission to do that but sometimes we tell other people's stories without permission because we're really excited about what might be happening in their life so we might say something like oh there's this woman in the food bank she's had this horrible life she's um, been a victim of domestic abuse and then she's in desperate times and she's come to the food bank and she started asking about Jesus and I had the opportunity to pray with her and she's got all these medical conditions she's got depression she's got um it might have been multiple sclerosis that sort you know and then this woman comes to church and there's like 20 people who know her life without her permission and the worst example of this for me is when we had a woman who had been um rescued out of modern slavery who became a christian and we were supporting her as a survivor and she was getting baptized and she was in the toilets getting changed for her baptism when she overheard someone she didn't know saying isn't it great that that woman who was trafficked is getting baptized this morning and suddenly she realizes people know my life and she didn't want people to know she she was like god's given me a fresh start in this church where only two people know my background and no one i get to be i get to be recreated the very thing that baptism is supposed to symbolize she's like i get it here And she realises on her baptism day, I don't think I've got it here. And that's a a stark example, but actually we do do that a lot. I've done it in the past, told people stories without their permission and then realised I've set them up to feel uncomfortable or to maybe feel like people know my life in a way that I don't know theirs. And is that right or wrong? So that's a bit of a heavy way to end, but I just wanted to throw out some of my stories, some thoughts. I hope some of it's helpful, whichever bits of land. Um, there's probably loads more I could say and loads more stories I could tell, but I will stop there and we'll do, if we've got time, I guess, uh, any questions.